Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. This is week seven of our series, and it, this, is, this is it for this series. And, and next week, we're starting a brand new series called All In. Uh, I don't want you to miss that. I've been praying about this series for months. I've been learning, and God's been working on me for this next series. You don't want to miss it starting next week. And if you miss the first message of a series, you kind of feel like you're, you're kind of lost for the rest of them. So the, the way it works around here, we enter an, into a series, and the first message kind of is, is the launching pad for the rest of them. So you don't want to miss that um, next week. But before we, we do anything else, I would just like for us to just stop and pray, if we could. Heavenly Father, we, do, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus was, that he was the man of sorrow. And because of that, God, that he not only loved the city of Jerusalem, but he loves us. And what he did on the cross to reconcile us and bring, and bring followers of Jesus back to the Father. Lord God, without Jesus, we're lost in our sins. We have no direction. We have no hope. Father, I pray that you would just speak through me today, that you would be um, with the, the, the ears and, and the listening and, and the hearts and minds of the people who would hear this message, whether it's in this room or uh, through media. But Father, I pray that you would just center us before we jump into your word. And God, that we would find the very best um, that you have for us today. Let us put aside everything that we've gone through, everything that we've done this week, and just open up all of us to your word and just to the proclamation um, of truth and grace this morning. And we thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this is uh, Family Dynamics. And just as it says on the screen, and it has for the last seven weeks, um, what this has been about is keeping vintage values through cultural change. We've talked about how culture's changed and all that. And, uh, and we... We've kind of discussed it from many different angles, and today we're talking about uh, really a subject that I absolutely am fired up about. I want you to be fired up about. If you're single and you're one day going to be married, this would be very profitable for you. If you're married, this is very profitable for you. If you're a grandparent um, and you're actually pouring into your kids and your grandkids, this also becomes applicable to you. So across the board, every one of us can benefit from uh, from this message. Um, and just really the, the, the compilation of all of these messages, truly. But some things have happened over our last couple of weeks, and I would like just for this to be kind of an introduction, getting into our text. Um, and you can be flipping there. It's in Psalm 78. Uh, that's where we'll be. But over the last month, some things have happened in our culture and our country, and I, I, I think that, you'll, um, that we'll all have some understanding of this. Um, I don't know, several weeks ago, Robin Williams died. We're familiar with this, right? Everybody knows that. Unless you like live in a cave and then, hello, welcome to sunlight. You're here today, you know. But everybody knows that Robin Williams uh, has died. But then also, uh, Joan Rivers has passed this week as well. And, and, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that Marlon and I have been talking about this recently. And when, when a celebrity dies, oftentimes people in the culture just freak out, don't they? 
And they're like, ah, he's the funniest person on earth, and she's the funniest person on earth, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And people cry, and they mourn, and they weep, and all these things. And really, they can become very, very obsessive over just honoring celebrities. And, and I, I've, we've sat back, and Marlon and I had this discussion. We're kind of sitting back, and we're just like, you know, when, when specifically when Robin Williams died, and then also when Joan Rivers died, died recently. It was kind of the same thing. And everybody, all the media and everybody, every news outlet, they're all talking about these people. And I, I realize that they've had great impact on the country. Robin Williams was hilarious. And I just love the way that, that Joan Rivers was just, she was not afraid of just just making, making jokes about anybody, uh, of anyone of all time. But yet, one of the things that, that kind of came through our home in this discussion was Okay, people look at their lives and they view their lives through what they did. And, and everybody's talking about how funny Robin Williams was. And they're talking about his, his movies and Mork and Mindy, you know, and Nanu Nanu and all that whole nine yards, you know. Anybody who, if you grew up in the 80s, you know that. Probably want to forget, but it's there again, you know. And you kind of, you've had these times and maybe his movies and Goodwill Hunting and you know, Dead Poet Society and Good Morning Vietnam, all good movies. And, you know, you kind of go through all these things. And, and oftentimes what happens in our culture is we kind of, we honor the work of celebrities, but not the person in the celebrity. The same thing with Joan Rivers. Like, she was so funny and she was willing to do this. But, you know, I wonder what kind of person they really were. We don't really talk about that, do we? We don't, we don't really talk about that. Like when I flip it on the when I flip on the news, they don't talk about that. Like they, he, he was this person or she was that person. And then it got us thinking, got me thinking specifically. What would people say of me? Like if I were to if I were to die, what would they say about me? I know within my home they're going to say some things like. Yeah, my dad, like, he was really good at starting jobs but not finishing them. There's, like, there's evidence of that all over my house, right? My wife wants to say amen really loudly right now, you know? That's true. Like, that, yeah, I mean, I'll leave that behind, and, and they'll think about, yeah, dad created a bunch of things, and he didn't necessarily finish them. Or maybe dad was, like, really zealous to start a job, but then something happened along the line where he broke something, which happens a lot, or that I would get in there, and then I would actually hurt myself in the process of fixing something happens a lot. I was helping my, my father-in-law work on one of his rental homes. We're putting up the trusses. I was kind of just, I, I was just like one of the, the helping hands. I wasn't like the brain behind the whole thing, or else it wouldn't even have gotten as far as what it did. But I was like part of the muscle, and we put the trusses up, and everything's great, and they're, they're nailing in the trusses, and they're, they're getting everything uh, framed up, and everything's working great. Um, and, and I'm actually walking the trusses with my tool belt, thinking I know exactly what's going on, although sh I didn't have a clue. You know, I'm like walking the trusses and then just not paying attention. I step right through the trusses, right through the ceiling, and then I fall through, bash my face on the, actually on the trusses. And like I'm arm in arm on the trusses. It's kind of hard to hide that when you're around a bunch of guys. And it's like middle afternoon and everybody's like wanting, you know, everybody's like all into this thing. And then they look at the new guy with a new tool belt, with a new hammer. It was slightly used, not very much used. And now he's got a big bloody face. I'm that guy. And a side note, if you want any work done in your house, please come talk to me. Um, I hope you have an insurance policy just in case. But I'm that guy. And I know that I know that, that if I were to not be on earth anymore, I know that some of those stories would be told. I know that. And, and I can laugh at myself. But 
at the end of the day, I don't want that to be the only thing they say about me. I don't want the only thing to be said about you was, well, dad worked really hard. Or, you know what, mom worked really hard and, and, and you know, and she worked hard and, and when she drove us to all of our games and dad drove us to all of our games and, and when he wasn't at work, he was at our games. It was like 50-50. I, if that is the only thing that would be said about you as you've raised kids or if you're not on earth anymore, that is, a, that is not a good thing to say. So our text today, and there's only a few of these actually in the Bible, to be honest with you. So anytime we get on this topic, we're, we're, we're either in Deuteronomy 6 or in Psalm 78. But kind of the question today is, how can I actually build a legacy of faith within my home, within my relationship, within maybe even your life? How can I start to build a legacy of faith? So that the only thing they're not saying about you is, you worked really hard. Or you drove me to all my soccer practices. Or you drove me, you got me to dance as early as you could. You see, that's not a legacy. And that certainly is not a legacy of faith. That's not. The context of this, the Psalms are a little bit uh, different. And uh, the Psalms are really songs that were written, um, uh, of course, centuries ago. And this one... Um, King David actually wrote a lot of psalms inspired by God to do so. This one is, is actually a psalm of Asaph. Um, he, not a whole lot is known about this guy specifically, but it's believed that he was like one of the leaders of, uh, of um, David's Levitical choirs, like he was one of the leaders. So he, he also did some of the writing, and obviously he was pretty important because his writings, his songs, actually got into the Bible. So no matter if you've heard of his name or not, it's in the Bible, so we should give credence to uh, the words that were inspired by God. But Psalm 78, give you a little bit of the backstory. Nation of Israel, this is before Jesus, this is before the New Testament was written, this is before the Gospels, before the Apostle Paul, all those things. The nation of Israel, they, they were in, in a, a constant state of obeying God for a short time and then disobeying God. And then a new, a new king, new leader, new prophet would come in, and they would obey God for a short time, and then they would disobey God for a time. And it was just a constant roller coaster of, of really of spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, and even seeking after God at all. That's kind of the, the inner workings and the kind of the behind the scenes of what's going on. But look what Asaph says in this psalm, Psalm 78, verse 1. O oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, and we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statues from Jacob and establish the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Verse 6, So the next generation will know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children. Do you see what's happening here? Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. 
They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to Him. So the heart behind Asaph's message, and this, this psalm keeps going on and on and on, but the heart behind this is, look at your past failures. Understand how the generations have failed. And let's do something different. Let's sit back and let's reflect upon what God has done. And, and let's not just, let, let's, well, rather, let's look upon our lives to see the failures that, that we have, have committed, the sins that we have committed. And let's commit not to do those things, but let's brag about the glory of God. Let's tell of God to, to the next generation. And let's inspire that generation to tell the next generation. That way, when we're gone, they don't just talk about us, that they talk about this God that so loves them and that has so sought to reconcile a relationship back to them that it would just be a continual, that it would be a legacy. There's kind of five observations from this text, not necessarily points, um, there is a ton of application in this message. A lot, or rather, in, in some of my messages, in most of the time, there's application right at the end. There's application all through this. So just listen. But there's five observations. The first one is this: we need to address our own sins. We need to address our own sins. We, we, can, we talk about God and the glory of God and, and the way God reconciles people, but we have to understand something that, that the theologian from really the 1700s is and, and a, a Puritan. It was an amazing message. John Owen said it this way, The person who understands the evil in his own heart is the only person who is useful, fruitful, and solid in his beliefs and obedience. He says the only person who understands the evil in their own hearts, who has addressed their own sins, will be fruitful. He says, if not, continuing his quote, he says, other, so there's, here's the contrast. He says, other than that, they will basically twist what they do. They will twist themselves and thus upset families, churches, and all other relationships. We have, to, we have to address the sins in our own lives. For us to, to live and to, to put forth a spiritual legacy, of course it starts with God, but as we reflect upon God's holiness, we have to ask questions of our own life. We have to address our own sins. Because oftentimes what happens, our sins then reproduce themselves in our children. And then if we ignore our sins, then they produce sinful fruit in the lives of our children, and then our children have the same burdens we had, but since we ignored them, they have to deal with them. I think it can be different. Speaking into this just a little bit deeper, I'll say this, just some things about sins. Your sins, the sins are a current problem. They're a current problem. Your anger is a problem. Your, your, your slander of other people is a problem. Your bitterness at work when you come home and you just badmouth everything at work, it's a problem. 
when you when you chase after material things, it's a problem. It's a continual problem. And when we do those things, we we chase lesser things. We have to understand we are influencing those who are falling behind us. So they're a current problem, but also our sins are a continual problem. Numbers 14 says this. Now pay special attention to this. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. Okay, stop right there. We love this part. We get fired up about this part. This is the part we want to talk about. This, we want to put this on a bumper sticker, on a t-shirt. We want to put this as our Facebook status. We want to like pin this to Pinterest, if you can do. I don't even know if you can do that, but you would want to. Like We love this. this is, we're all about this. But we can't have this part unless we have the second part of this verse also. And look at the second part. Yet, here's a transition. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. See, the first part of that, we love that part. We do. We love it. That's the grace part. We want God's grace. But the second part of that is the truth part. Just some the inner workings of me. I always kind of lend myself to the truth part first. There's some people who I would say just are gracers. They're like the, all they they like da, 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 da. they just go to the grace part and neglect the truth part. Well, I'm kind of a da, 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 truther. I'm like I just go to the truth. You have to have a balance of both. As a matter of fact, I, I would just tell you this. If we don't have the truth of God seasoned with the grace of God, it will not be palating for, your, for people's souls. It will not. It won't be. And you'll run people away. We have both elements here. At the beginning of this, we see God's grace, and it's so clear. I hope you see how clear it is. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving us of our sin and rebellion. That's true. The latter part of this talks about the consequences of our sins. Now, this does not mean, now look, look at, at this verse clearly. This is not saying, okay, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus died for all sins. He did. And if you have asked Jesus, Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you are forgiven. However, your sins still have consequences. And that's what this is talking about. And if, they, if our sins are a, a current problem in our life, they will have a continual effect in our home. And if you, if you are prone to anger, that anger, that's what this, the second part of this is talking about. If you have that, that anger and you have explosive anger in your home, it will affect your children. Your children will live in fear. That's the consequences of whose sin? That's right. That's what this is talking about. If you tend to be bitter and you look at all of life like everything's terrible and work's terrible, my relationships are terrible, my marriage is terrible, my kids are terrible, everybody's terrible, and you walk through life with just, just a bitter streak through you, I have to tell you that will affect your children and then that the root of bitterness, if it is not killed and taken out, it will produce harmful fruit in the next generation. So your sins... I could give a thousand examples of that. Your sins that are a current problem, the ones that you have to address in your life, they have a continual effect. And it just it keeps going. 
And also the sins, they break God's commandments. Deuteronomy 5.8 says this, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, or on earth, beneath, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. Next verse says this, Deuteronomy 5.9, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's a God who's jealous for your affections. He doesn't just want a chunk of your Sunday morning. He doesn't just want a chunk of your devotion time. He wants your whole life. He wants your whole heart. He wants every part of you. He wants the outside. He wants the inside. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants your emotions. He wants your feelings. He's a jealous God. He wants every part of you, and He wants your deepest and most, he wants and longs for your affections. He wants to consume you, but he will not force himself upon you. He's a jealous God, but also, you see here, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. <laughs> Look how powerful those words are. And of course, this is an echoing of the Ten Commandments. This is just, it's repeated from Exodus 20 and now in Deuteronomy. The sins that we commit in the home have consequences beyond ourselves. They do. Some are very, very obvious. But if we walk through our life and we don't address our own sins, those sins will produce harmful fruit in the next generation. We have to start there. To ask God, what is it in me that is not of you? What, what worthless idols am I chasing that now I'm also bringing the rest of my family along that journey too? What am I idolizing? Is it material wealth? Is it a relationship? Is it popularity? Is it... Is it just the, you know, the, the progress at work? Like I'm just, I'm just striving for the next position at work. And if I have that, I'll have everything. God says that, that He is a jealous God. He wants every part of you. He will give you the desires of your heart. But if your desires are bent towards evil, He will not give you those things. He will give you the desires of your heart if your heart is surrendered to Him. Because that's what's best for you. He's like a good dad. A good dad is going to give good things to his kids. And yet, all sins have greater consequences. All sins do. Also, the second kind of observation is every home is supposed to be an incubator of spiritual growth. Every home is supposed to be an incubator of spiritual growth. We know what an incubator is, right? Like when you, you know you, you have a child and they put them in the little plastic thing, it looks like un, you know inhumane. They put them in there and it just has like two little holes, you know, in that whole nine yards, or maybe it has a little door or whatever the case may be. But it's a perfect environment for the child to grow. It's kind of, you know, well, short term. You know, it's a safe environment. And maybe something's wrong and they go in there and and they they can have um, be tended to with and keep impurities and things out. But it's, it's an environment set for them to grow in that time. And every home is supposed to be an incubator of spiritual growth. Every Christian home is supposed to be an incubator of spiritual growth. Is yours. Is yours. Some questions kind of maybe helping you process and, and, and just kind of think through some things. What is the general tone of your home? 
Is, is the tone of your home worry? Like you worry about this and you worry about that and you, 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 just, you worry, you have anxiety, you have fear? That's, that's not a good place for spiritual growth. That's a great environment to teach your kids to also to worry. Is it chasing materialism? Never content with what you have, just consuming, consuming, consuming. That's not a good environment for spiritual growth. How, let me ask you this question. How often is the Bible discussed in your home? Is the Bible discussed in your home? When is the last time that you've had a, a quality spiritual discussion within your home? Or even with your friends? With your kids? See, all of these kind of ask questions and they tease out and they, they should make us think, is my home really an incubator for spiritual growth? Another one is this. Do I place my families in environments where they can grow spiritually? Do, do I place them in environments where they can grow spiritually? Like you, you can't grow spiritually at home. You, you have to be around God's people. You have to be. You have to be. You, you can't do so at home. You, you can't church at home. You can't Joel Osteen at home. Please don't Joel Osteen at home. You can't do those things. You can't David Jeremiah at home. And you know you sit there and you listen to this and you listen to that. And Well, I had my church for the day. You, you will be completely dissatisfied in your walk with Christ. You will not be discipled in Christ. And, and that's exactly the way it should be. Because you cannot fulfill what is required in in, in New Testament lifestyle, a Jesus lifestyle, if you're at home by yourself. Have you committed to bringing your children into an environment where they can grow spiritually? Of course, you would expect the pastor to say that, that the church is the best place. Because it is. But so is your home. Another observation, number three. Probably the, the most profitable, to be honest. Faith must pass from parent to child. So much of what is happening right here in the buckle of the Bible belt is kids are leaving the church because they realize that mom and daddy's faith isn't enough. That mom and daddy's faith, once they get out of high school and they have a choice to make whether or not to be in church or out of church, that mom and daddy's faith is not enough. Good old time southern religion is failing. It has failed. Faith has to pass from parent to child or there will be no godly legacy, period, point blank, no exceptions. If I had a pulpit, I'd pound it harder. Some things about that. To help you, the Bible is to be a means of instruction within your home. Of instruction. What are we supposed to do? Who are we supposed to hang out with? Where are we supposed to spend our money? Are we supposed to live for now or later? Both. What are we supposed to do? 
If you don't bring your family around the truth of God's word, you miss the greatest instructions for their lives. You, parents, as smart as you are, as educated as you are, as many degrees as you have, you are not smart enough to take your kids spiritually where they need to go. That's why God has given us the Holy Scriptures. He's given us this place where we can go, that that we can get instruction for our lives. It's a means of instruction, the Word of God. Second thing is this. Grace and truth are means of correction. Grace and truth as a means of correction. Just for you to pound your kids of, of just truth, 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 you may as well be just kicking your kids out the door when they turn 18. If you don't give them the truth, of God's love, surrounded and just seasoned with God's grace, it will not be palatable for their soul. It will be, they will not receive it in the way that you think that they should. Grace and truth as a means of correction. That's the way Jesus corrected, and that's the way Jesus taught. Everybody who came to Jesus will see this in our next series. Everyone who came to Jesus, they came to Jesus with a specific need, and yet God always gave them the, rather, Jesus gave them that need, but then also the greater need. And in doing so, He gave them truth, but then He gave them grace. And that's the way that we should parent, that's the way that we should love, that's the way that should be, it really should be surrounded in all of our marriages and all of our relationships. And I would just tell you this, if you are pursuing marriage, you would absolutely be foolish to sit back and not incorporate these things into your life right now. Because I will be the very person you come talk to when your life is screwed up. I'm being honest. I'm not trying to be harsh, but this has been proven over and over and over again. If you don't actually heed the the advice of the Word of God, you will come to a person, a spokesperson of God, if you will, and you will be asking for correction. But when you do so, it will already have been as you've traveled down a road of heartache, bitterness, and struggle. And in that moment, I will gladly talk to you, but I'm going to bring you back to right where we are right now. And I want to save you heartache. Another thing about the the faith that must pass from parent to child is our identity as a means of direction. Our identity in Christ should be the means of the direction in the course of our life. Who are you in Christ? What are, their, what are your natural gifts and what are your child's, or, or even you as a parent, what are your spiritual gifts? If you're not seeking those things, you'll be chasing lesser things and you'll be dissatisfied in your walk. That's your identity. Not I'm, 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 a, I'm a pastor, I'm an engineer, I'm a whatever your job is. I'm a cook, I'm, I'm a mechanic, whatever it is that you do. That's not your identity in Christ. That's not your spiritual legacy. That's not what you want to pass on to your children. Help them. Go to the, to the book of Ephesians and it tells them who they are in Christ and walk them through the book of Ephesians so that they can know who they are. Also, the gospel as a means of transformation... The gospel is not just a one-time event that Jesus died one time for all sins, for all time. The gospel should be setting our relationships anew every single day. 
The gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died for me, not that you would ever be sinless, but that you should certainly sin less. That the gospel sets you free from the temptation of sin and the recurring sin and the continual sin and then it should make you question what are my current sins? The gospel. Godly marriage as as a foundation. Godly marriage as a foundation. We've talked about this. I'm just going to skim over it. We've talked about it a lot. But then also, the idea of, of a godly offspring of a godly offspring. And we've talked about this text from Malachi 2. And that's one of the purposes of a godly marriage, is godly offspring. Godly offspring. Spiritual legacy. That's what this is about. I have a friend of mine, longtime friend. I've, I've watched his life just unravel. And, and I love him. And we've been friends for decades. We have, we've gone through the trenches together. And yet in the last several years, I have watched him walk out of his marriage, walk away from his three kids, chase a younger woman, his, just leave his home, his wife not working, his kids just directionless. And, and the reason why it just burdens me so much is as soon as he walked out and he stopped being the godly influence on his kids, his legacy stopped. And no matter what he does from that standpoint, he cannot speak spiritual truth and tell his kids of the love of God because he has already proven to be unreliable. And the telltale signs were there the whole time. When he'd walk into the room, he was the authority. He assumed the position of the authority. He had no accountability. He didn't seek out accountability. And now, he cannot produce godly offspring. I'm not saying that that if his life wasn't totally changed, but his three kids have been tainted by what he has done. Because his sins were a current problem, and then they became a continual problem. His sins went left unchecked, and now it is going to produce heartache in his children. And I know that it is. And you know what hurts me more than anything? I can't tell him a word. And I would be remiss not to say to some of you, some of you are in a very similar situation. You are right on the cusp of something that is so damaging to your family. Don't be deceived in thinking that you're doing okay. You have to go back and preach the gospel to yourself and say, God, what am I doing that is not of you? And seek accountability. The fourth kind of observation, we're going to fly through this one, is the natural world brings supernatural discovery. Many of us, we feel enough to teach the Bible, and I understand all of that. I'm, I'm trying to do... Maybe, maybe create an environment to help you learn and to be able to have some confidence in studying the Bible. Maybe you'll hear that in the next few months. I understand how difficult that is. But even the natural world brings supernatural discoveries. You can teach your kids a very, very valuable lesson by simply looking at a pine tree and an oak tree and talking about the value of their root system. 
And why is it when a storm comes, a pine tree falls, and the whole root ball comes over, but yet an oak tree lasts? Why is that? Because the roots are deeper. And you could teach them the the value of, of deepening their walk with Jesus. That way, when the cultural winds whip and wail, that their faith will stand strong like an oak tree. Maybe just going outside on a starry night to just reflect upon God's goodness and looking up. And, and you know what? One of the things that I found, and I love to be outside, I talk about it all the time, it's just, it's just a part of me. But I, I love to go outside at night and look at the stars. And when I do so, it forces me to see how big God is and how small my problems really are. And I think it would help your children as well. Maybe for you and your marriage, maybe your kids are gone, and maybe you just need to sit back. Maybe you're even going through some physical ailings right now, or you need to be a kid again. You just need to go outside, drive outside somewhere, pull on the side of the road out in the country and just look up at the stars and reflect on God's goodness. I think as we grow older, one of the things that we lose is that innocence and just the ability just to have fun and just to capture something that's lost, that wonder of God that we all need. I could say more, but I'm not going to. Then there's also the fifth observation is this. Look for other people to say what you want to say. Look for other people to say what you want to say. Specifically, if you have younger kids. Or if you're a grandma. Look for other people to say what you want to say. And the best environment for you to do so is in the church. Because I have to tell you, we have... An awesome, awesome children's ministry. Our family ministry, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, there are people standing there wanting to partner with you, wanting to say the very same things that you're saying, but want to partner with you. You should find people to say the same thing you want to say. I learned this firsthand. When Jared was here, and I still grieve the fact that Jared's not here, that my, my son and my daughter don't have another voice saying the same thing as me. But I learned this firsthand. We, several years ago, we, um, as Austin was in junior high, we went through a di- very, very, very difficult time. It was actually the hardest time in our marriage, um, in, in our family life specifically, just, not just our marriage, but within all of our family. It, it, was, it was a problem we had to face every single day. And I kept saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over, and I can't give you the intimate details. But I kept saying the same thing over and over and over to my son, and it fell on deaf ears, and it fell on deaf ears, and it fell on deaf ears. Then God sent Jared Green. God sent Jared Green. And there was a youth event where God spoke through Jared Green to say the same thing that I said, and that was the time that my son listened. And that changed, the, it really was, it was instrumental in changing the whole course of his spiritual growth and his walk with God. Because I had somebody else who was saying the same thing as me, but it was a different voice, it was a consistent voice. He was seeking God just like we were seeking God. We each and everyone have to find people to say the same thing we want to say especially in the teenage years. Because if you're a teenager, you know how distant that you can become from your parents. And if you're raising a teenager, you know the tension that comes with parenting a teenager. 
And what's the boundary? What can I say? What can I not say? You need a partner in the fight. And the reason why I say it's a fight is because it's a spiritual fight. You need a partner. You need your kids to understand there's a better purpose to live for. And it's not themselves. It's not material wealth. It's not consumption of technology. It is, it is the purposes of God over their life. You need them to know that there's a bigger family, that there's a church, the universal church, that we're all in this partnership together. And you need to invite them into this story that's a better story that God is writing right now. And he's wanting to shape them and he's wanting to shape you into this, this idea of, of leaving a legacy. We each and every one, as we seek after God, have a responsibility, not just within our own home, but we have a responsibility with other believers to encourage and equip them and to live the Christian life. The very thing that you want in your children, I have to tell you, it is attainable, but you have to commit to the process. And it's going to be hard. But God's grace is sufficient. They're going to be sleepless nights. But God's always awake. There's going to be moments where I like, I just don't know God. I don't know what to do. And he says, you know what? That's why I've given you this book is an instruction for what you're supposed to do. God doesn't sleep and he doesn't sleep through our problems. And I'll tell you this in closing. God never, ever, ever wastes a hurt. Never. So if you're hurting for something, and right now, and you feel inept as a parent, what God wants to do is, is to take that, 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 that terrible thing and turn around to be a great thing for your children. But you have to go to Him. And you have to commit to the process. And Isaiah 61, I think in verse 9, he calls that beauty for ashes. And that's what God wanted to do in our text today, in Psalm 78, and that's what he wants to do in you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I just... I, I, I'm so dissatisfied with who I've become. I know there's more to this, this faith walk. I know there's more to this idea of legacy. God, it's my prayer, and I just I pray this prayer over everyone in this room. God, show us the riches of your grace and the power of your mercy. Teach us to walk in the light as you are in the light. Remind us that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And remind us that there may be ashes now, but there's beauty on the way. We honor you, Jesus. Amen. 